We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. But we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to the Rotowire College Football Podcast. It is Wednesday, December 4th. Nick Whalen here, as always, with John McKechnie. John, who do we have sponsoring this week? Uh, looks like we are sponsored by Peloton this week. So really coming up in the world in the world here, um, you can use promo code WineMom for okay. one dollar off of your mortgage. Okay, and that's W I N E M O M. Correct. Um, yeah, I know Optima Tax Relief had also expressed some interest. Money Mutual with Montel Williams. Um, I think maybe we have them queued up for the next couple of weeks. Do you have a structured settlement and you need cash now? I know who to call. JG Wentworth. Eight seven seven cash now, now. baby. Um, the Peloton commercial, you know which one I'm talking about, right? I, I feel like it's just now coming into like the the public conscience in terms of people who don't have ESPN running while they work, you know, eight hours a day. Um, so I feel like we've we've kind of been on this for a couple of weeks, yeah. but it seems like over the Thanksgiving holiday, people really, really got uh, 
or we're taken aback, I guess, by the commercial. And I know like the New York Post or the Daily News wrote a big article trying to identify the woman in the commercial as if she's to blame for it. <laughs> right. Which um, is wild. Yeah. It's a pretty strange commercial. I don't think it's that bad, though. Like people are really, really upset about it. It's very like Black Mirror-ish. I think that's kind of the vibe I get. But other than that, relatively harmless. I'm just upset with how often it's being played and how often we are subjected to the same 30 seconds of Tao Bachman's She's So High. Yeah, yeah, that is the official, uh, like, Tao Bachman is extremely back right now yeah. be, as a result of this commercial. But yeah, the people, the fake outrage of this commercial and, like, how dare this woman be fit for an entire right. year? How dare well, it's she? It's like she like, already is fit. Like, yeah. Well, she wants to be more fit. Yeah, how about, what a novel concept that <laughs> is. And then, um, what else? The, the idea of getting use out of an expensive gift. Right. That her husband get, yeah, God forbid. Yeah, unbelievable. You better just, use that thing every day if you're paying three thousand dollars. Yeah, the, they they open a Peloton shop over over near me in, in Hilldale, and it's oh no, I don't even. That feels really Black Mirror-ish to go mm-hmm. into, into that store, but um, yeah, the, the the outrage over that commercial. And then I've also noticed that there are some other copycat companies mm-hmm. that are, that are making extremely puffy. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does your Peloton have pegs? Did it yeah, think right. so? Okay. I will buy. I will buy the Peloton BMX bike. <laughs> yeah, there you go, and take it off and get three inches of air. Yeah, I don't even own a bike, let alone a three thousand dollar fake bike that allows you to just pretend to bike in your house. I would never do that. Um, I'm kind of curious as to the people who do do it, but I know a couple people, um, not closely, but I've, I've observed a couple people that own them and they seem to like them. Um, yeah, so I guess, you know, now that they're a sponsor, out. we should probably be talking them up. We do need, yes, absolutely. And, you know, we're, we're still working on connecting Matt Hoffman to Peloton because that, that just <laughs> seems like the next logical progression here. And yeah, we need wow. a more extreme Peloton here yeah. we, to get got more guys like mm-hmm. us, football football guys that that are into the peloton and i think uh getting a bmx guy mm-hmm. like matt hoffman's how that works yeah i've been in touch with ryan nyquist people as well so we'll see if that if that comes to I fruition um anyway let's get into the college football rankings i'm really excited to talk about college football we did not do a pod last week due to the holiday everybody's traveling family all kinds of stuff um but that set us up for a great weekend uh, i knowingly drank too much coffee today i had two cups and i was like i feel good I don't need another cup. Decided to fill one up anyway, yeah, just for the podcast. Like the I'm studio, ready. Man. Yeah, I have. I've had like the Stone Cold theme song just playing in my mind basically <laughs> since I woke up this morning. Is that kind of glass breaking sound effect? Um, but let's talk about the the college football playoff rankings that were, of course, announced last night on Tuesday. Not a lot of changes as expected um, after rivalry week, at least at the top. We have Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, uh, one through four. Utah five, Oklahoma and Baylor six and seven. The Wisconsin Badgers, scratching and clawing their way up to number eight, Florida nine, Penn State 10, Auburn, Alabama, Oregon, Michigan, and Notre Dame round out the top 15. And then Minnesota, what a fall from grace for the Golden Gophers with a, a pretty convincing loss to Wisconsin uh, in Minneapolis in a snow game, uh, a really fun game, actually, despite the, the lopsided results, at least speaking as a Wisconsin fan, they fall all the way down to 18. So I will, I will kick it to you now. Any, any takeaways from this, or is it just kind of what we expected based on what happened? So Alabama is not just out of the top 10. They are behind a three-loss Auburn Out team. of the top 11. Yes, and 12 12, 12 men on the field for Alabama. Mm. Do you think that well. was a, the committee sending a message? Yeah, the committee loves deep state. <laughs> oh, you like 12? Like that. Yeah. <laughs> How about this? <laughs> Try these 12s. Um, yeah, so that was I, – I enjoyed that, and I, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, finally we get a year where, mm-hmm. where there's no Alabama um, in the playoff. That's, that's kind of nice. 
Um, I know the the whole field goal fiasco towards the end of the first half uh, rightfully has some Alabama people mad, but uh, yep. you know there's no there's nothing richer than you know seeing the videos on Instagram or, or on Twitter of the Alabama fan melting down at home, just really really mm-hmm. just screaming at the TV, throwing things. I love that. You're and talking about that woman, right, who was in the recliner, yeah. kind of in a like a prone position. Yeah, they should they should have just like <laughs> had some sort of restraints in place. It kind of looked like it. Yeah, her body was not moving at all. Like, it was just her mouth. <laughs> she was very upset. So I love videos like that, and uh, it was a great mm-hmm. weekend for for that type of uh, Schadenfreude type of content. Mm-hmm. And then I guess going back up towards the top here, uh, Georgia's. You know that that sort of uh, pivot point here, where they're the only team in the top four that could lose this weekend and not get in. Because I think, and, and I guess what we'll use this as a discussion point to get into wow. Clemson here in a second. But what have you made of the Dabo Swinney going on the nobody believes in us, nobody <laughs> likes us tour? It's been so unnecessary. You know, yeah. it's like one of those verbal memes, like no one. You know, says nothing, and then Dabo Sweeney, you right. hate us. They're trying to keep us out, even though we've been in the playoff five years in a row. Yeah. Like, come on now. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really, there's really no case for Clemson to be ranked ahead of undefeated Ohio State or undefeated LSU. So I'm not exactly sure what he's complaining about. I think it'd be one thing if they were ranked fourth, ahead, you know, behind a yeah, one-loss yeah. Georgia, and you know, then I, I think there would maybe be some sort of manufactured disrespect component. Um, you know, I think in in his most honest moment, Dabo would probably admit that, you know, this is all just motivational tactics, as we've seen with any coach. You know, I mean, any, every coach that's had success has kind of gone through the trials of trying to keep people motivated. I sure. mean, I, I, maybe Saban's never taken it this far, but, you know, it, it always gets to that point when you have these dominant teams year after year. You, you can't just assume it's going to keep going that way. Um, but I, I mean, I, I'm generally a Dabo guy, I guess I've, I, he's losing me. I, I think a little, coming yeah. into this year or so, like when he said little old Clemson after right. stomping Alabama <laughs> in the title game last year, that's where I'm like, yeah, okay. Yeah. I respect it. I mean, I, I, I think I would respect it more if he was just candid about it. Like it'd be more funny if he was just like, yeah, our conference does suck, but I mean, what are we going to do about it? We're undefeated. Um, I guess I just don't know what he wants. Like, is he upset that they're ranked behind those two undefeated teams that have played vastly more difficult schedules? Yeah, I, maybe. Uh, you know, maybe he thinks that last year should matter for this year, and, and then being yeah. a net, uh, defending, well, you know, uh, champions there. I don't really know what it is. And, and like you said, there's no way you could you could with a straight face rank this Clemson team ahead of LSU and Ohio State right. based on the resume. There's just no. Way. And the eye <clears> test is about as good maybe not as good as these other two teams so certainly not better to the point where you would say okay benefit of the doubt if if when they get on the field together clemson Mm -hmm. is going to be the better team like i don't don't think they've eye tested their way above either of those teams either no no definitely not and i think it's not even that they haven't it's that the other teams have you know it's like ohio state has dominant wins over good teams most recently michigan on saturday and lsu the same way you know i mean they've I mean, they beat an A and M team handily. That uh, that they Clemson took the paint off of them, right? And Clemson, you know, maybe maybe they didn't struggle, but they, they didn't beat the paint off them. You know, to to use that expletive. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> Sorry yeah, for I mean, all the I, paint folks out there. Part of it's Clemson just hasn't had the same opportunities. But you know, in their their you know the A and M game kind of being an example, like their closest thing to those opportunities, they didn't necessarily seize them either. Um, but like I said, I, I think this doesn't really matter at all. I mean, I'm I'm happy to to hear people bash dabbo or whatever it whatever it comes to but um i think they're sitting at three where they should be i don't i don't see any argument that they should be higher or lower um so i you know at the end of the day i'm just not really sure 
what he's complaining about. So to me, it's just kind of this faux motivational tactic. Yep. Um, so you mentioned kind of leading off that segment that George is the one team that can lose and be out. I think I agree. Um, you know, it, I think the the argument for that is the winner of uh, Oklahoma or Baylor would almost certainly jump a two loss Georgia. So there's really not a confluence events of events that could happen where like, you know, quote unquote, everybody loses and Georgia just stays where they are because somebody has to win that game between two teams that are ranked six and seven. And you'd think that would be enough to jump, especially a Georgia team that, you know, it's not like they've lost to Alabama and LSU. It would be a loss to LSU in South Carolina, which yeah, so. as we've discussed for several weeks now, is not a good <laughs> loss. And it's one that at the end of the day is really going to come back and haunt Georgia in, in a certain scenario, just like as we'll get to in a little bit, the Illinois loss could very well come back and, and haunt Wisconsin. Um, but I wanted to push back a little bit. Do you, do you think it is a lock that if Clemson, even if they're upset by Virginia, a, a decent Virginia team, a, you know, a team that I think is 21st or 23rd uh, in the playoff rankings right now, so a top 25 team, um, if they were to lose that game, you still think they're a lock? It would, it would be very surprising. if I think I could see them maybe moving down to four or something like that, but I, I have a hard time seeing everything lining up to where not only do they lose, but Utah blows the doors off of Oregon, Georgia loses, um, or Georgia wins, and then Oklahoma or something gets in there. So like there would be too much, in my opinion. I know that we were talking about the, the complicated path, and we'll get to that with Wisconsin there, but it would take a lot of things outside of just Clemson losing, I think. I, it would be like that loss is still better than whatever Georgia has right now, right? If if Clemson were to lose to Virginia in the conference title game, that would be worse than Georgia losing, to, or better than Georgia losing to South Carolina, right? So, I mean... Yeah, but it, they also don't have the wins to back it up like Georgia does, you know? So, I, I, I think there's a case to be made. I'm with you that LSU and, and Ohio State, no matter what happens, they're in. They just have strong enough resumes. LSU especially, you know, as, especially considering that the loss would come to the number four team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they're they're in. I feel I'd feel good about Ohio State, too. What if Clemson loses, Georgia wins, um, and you know, let's say Utah wins handily, and or you know, Oklahoma wins handily? You know, then you're comparing one loss Oklahoma, one loss Utah, both conference champions versus one loss Clemson, not a conference champion. Okay, so that yeah, okay, so that's where it, it gets crazy, and I guess we also we would need Georgia to win this one for it to re- to really work out I, I think right because um I, I think so because I think a Georgia win over LSU would almost lock them in it would be really it would, that would that would give you two SEC teams plus Ohio State but then you're kind of having the same debate of in this scenario one loss Clemson having just lost to Virginia or one loss Utah having just won the Pac-12 or one loss Baylor or Oklahoma another conference champion so it, it, I think in that scenario it would really test the committee's uh, you know, we're really going to count conference championships mantra that they've kind of thrown out there. And, you know, it's and kind of been iffy in the past, but followed it exactly. You know? Right. It, this would really, really put that to the test. Honestly, you know, it, time. It, if they kept Clemson in, in that scenario, they would be putting them in over two conference champions. Right. Exa- exactly. So, you know, it would be like, uh, the Bama from a couple of years ago or uh, the year that Ohio State didn't play in the Big Ten championship when mm-hmm. Penn State and Wisconsin played in 2016 or whatever it was. Um, so, yeah, it would be I mean, that precedent has been set. It's not like the committee doesn't have the wiggle room right. to, to do that. Um, but again, it would just it would take a lot, I think, for, for Clemson to fall out of this. And I, you know, this is all moot if if Clemson ends up winning on Saturday, mm-hmm. which seems to be a very, very likely scenario here. Right. Virginia's not not bad, but. I think Clemson, especially if the team drinks the Kool-Aid that the Dabo's putting out there, yep. uh, then 
they're going to be out for blood. This is a revenge game for Clemson. You know, finally we can prove the doubters wrong. Yes, we can't rule out the scenario of Alabama just getting in. You know, what if the committee? You know, like it's it's announcement night, and they're like, okay, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson. Alabama, and then they just shut down the show and like lock the doors and run out. It goes <laughs> like, black like yeah, the end right. of The Sopranos. <laughs> yes, exactly. Like, I hate this ending. Oh, the TVs just turn off. Yeah, and we just never get an explanation. Uh, I, I would say there's like a two percent chance that that happens. Um, as soon as the rankings came out last night, we were in the office, and our, our beloved colleague and probably the most undying Wisconsin supporter I've ever met, and that's saying a lot. It's truly remarkable. We went to school here. Chris Benzian immediately, like within five seconds of the rankings coming out, laid out exactly the path that Wisconsin needs, uh, which you have dubbed the Pepe Silvia path, uh, fittingly, to to get to the college football playoffs. So in order for that to happen, what we've decided is LSU needs to beat Georgia. So get Georgia out of there. Lock LSU in. Clemson loss or Baylor beating Oklahoma. In that scenario, assuming that Wisconsin also needs to blow the doors off Ohio State, which I think will happen. Sure, yeah, I think that, we all that's expect the that. most likely of right. any of these notches in here. Yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, they also need Utah to lose. Uh, I think Utah, no matter what, is, is definitively ahead of Wisconsin right now. So you'd need an Oregon win, an LSU win. In that extremely unlikely scenario that Wisconsin is sitting there having just absolutely laid waste to Ohio State, something like, I don't know, 71 to nothing, something like that, what would be more likely um for you know for a team like wisconsin to jump up and again this is all just stupid conjecture but a clemson loss or baylor beating oklahoma for for that fourth spot right what? meaning which which of those teams is more likely to be jumped by wisconsin i guess you know clemson having lost or um, i would i would guess baylor i think the committee the committee has shown well it's interesting this is obviously the highest this has got to be the highest that baylor's been ranked right to this point this season yeah oh yeah yeah so I think that we've seen the committee be pretty hesitant to really give a, a whole lot of credit to uh, to Baylor thus far. I almost wonder if they put Baylor up this high to, you know, this is conspiracy theory talk, but um, to prop up the Oklahoma win if they win to maybe vault them over Utah uh, if if it ends up being where Georgia loses and then who gets that four spot the the one loss Pac-12 champion Utah Utes or the one loss. Oklahoma Sooners mm-hmm. who just beat the number seven team as opposed to right. the number 12 team and I think that's what's probably the most likely scenario um you know Georgia beating LSU is not wouldn't be crazy I think LSU is a touchdown favorite in that game but talent wise those teams stack up pretty well and I think mm-hmm. that's going to be an awesome game um but let's say let's say Georgia loses uh and Clemson wins you have Ohio State LSU and Clemson locked in um I'm, I'm not even going to mention let's say ohio state wins because they're going to win um then you're basically deciding between utah if it beats oregon which is not a pushover game by any means i mean oregon losing a couple weeks ago to arizona state really kind of messed things up yeah, for them but like time. you know you could still see them playing spoiler and in terms of talent they're probably the more the more talented team um but if utah wins and oklahoma beats baylor it's going to be an all-time difficult decision you have two conference champions with very similar resumes you know utah has a not a great loss to USC, but not a horrific, you know, it's not like they're like the bottom, you know, bottom of the barrel in the Pac-12, whereas Oklahoma would also have, you know, not a terrible loss, but not a good loss to to Kansas State. So extremely similar resumes. Um, and I, I would be really interested to see, you know, where the committee leans, you know, does right now Utah's ahead, you know, they're five, Oklahoma six, but do they give Oklahoma more credit for beating the technically higher ranked team in this scenario, which would be seventh ranked Baylor as opposed to 13th ranked Oregon? I think they would. Uh, I think that that's how that would end up playing out. If all thing, 
all things out or laying out the resumes of both of those teams where they both have the one loss on the road to respectable but not great opponents there i think the strength of of victory may or strength of yeah strength of victory within the conference title game would probably be the deciding factor for the committee and they can eye test it and i I hate this for utah because they're probably deserving at least as deserving i wouldn't say more so clearly than than a one loss oklahoma if they if they end up taking care of business too but Mm -hmm. i think utah just plays a style that's just like i think if the committee's looking at a viable fourth team that could give the number one team a bit of a run for its money Mm -hmm. i think it's got to be oklahoma like it you know maybe that should or shouldn't factor into into these decisions for the committee but I feel pretty confident that Oklahoma would would at least put more eyes on that game that, than Utah, who I just don't think would be able to. They would be able to kind of slow down Ohio State a little bit. They have an excellent defense, like a really, really ridiculously good defense, especially against the run. So I, I'd love to mm-hmm. see uh, what they were, what they'd be able to do if they had to just make Justin Fields throw it the right. whole time. But at the same time, I, I just think that over the course of it would be like it'd be very similar to like Wisconsin playing Ohio state and like keeping it close early. But then in, in the end, Ohio state just out, out right. athletes them in the second half. I think that's mm-hmm. what that game would end up looking at. Whereas you can't really say the same about an Oklahoma team that could probably keep pace offensively mm-hmm. or at least try to. If Oklahoma loses or doesn't make the playoff, is there, is there a way that they could play Alabama in a bowl? I've been trying to look at potential matchups. Like, could we get a Jalen hurts versus Alabama? Oh, that you know, would be whatever amazing. bowl outback bowl or whatever it would be. Now you're thinking, I, I think yeah. the latest projections I saw was like maybe Alabama going to the citrus bowl against poor Michigan or something. I like saw, that. I've seen uh, ESPN's bowl projections had them playing Minnesota in one scenario. Oh no. Minnesota, Alabama in the outback bowl. Well, you know, Fleck would get the boys up for that. And you know right. that God, the, the effort level from Bama in that game would be, <laughs> <laughs> unlike anything we've ever seen i mean they'd be fielding their second team yeah like right. any draft and they would still be favored junior. by two touchdowns yeah like yeah. trevon diggs wouldn't play yeah. uh, Najee harris wouldn't play Najee harris by the way like <sighs> maybe the player of that game on on saturday and I, I know that uh obviously alabama didn't end mm-hmm. up winning that game but man i mean he might work his way into that top tier of running backs here at this point i mean for the nfl would, draft yeah yeah like, i might oh, like yeah. him better than mike might like his game better than swift's right now yeah, it, it does feel, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, it, it almost feels like his career has been slightly disappointing just because he was such a big deal, you know, coming out of high school. And, yeah. you know, they, and at, at Alabama, you always have two or three guys ahead of you, and it's kind of taken a while for him to become the guy, you know, even guys like Damian Harris being ahead of him and Josh Jacobs last year. Um, but he's, you know, I, I think Alabama losing a couple games this year has kind of put a damper on it, but he has been incredible, even in their losses. I mean, in the LSU game, he was, he was overshadowed by Edward Solaire, but he is a man like yeah, he dude. he really kind of looks like the real deal maybe a, a year or two later than we thought yeah and i it's i know that like we're past the jacked up era and everything like that yeah, but but well, cbs running that um we're stiff not. arm of his and gary danielson is remarking on how grown man <laughs> football that was where he just basically knocked out the auburn yep. guy with his with the forearm shiver uh mm-hmm. yeah that guy is I got something else, man. So uh, kudos to Najee, even though uh, even though Alabama again uh, lost that game. Yep. Uh, so we kind of talked about the more likely scenarios. Um, you know, really, I don't think Wisconsin's all that realistic. So to me, there's kind of seven teams going into conference championship weekend that have a chance, and it's Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia, Utah, Oklahoma, and Baylor. Um, what, what do you think is the most fun scenario? I, I know I'd, I'm springing this on you without any prep time, but like. 
I assume you want Georgia in based on your allegiances. Um, That's what not is, the most fun. I right, will say that, that much. <laughs> that is not fun to watch Georgia no? play football. I don't know. See, I, I I think I would rather have Georgia in than Utah, and maybe that's just you know that, big I mean, school bias fine, and I'd whatever. Watch but o- Oklahoma. Than yeah, both of I know. Them. I I would like Ohio State to just not be included at all, just for personal reasons. Me but too. Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Oklahoma, or. Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, Georgia is a really, really fun five. And as, as much as it'd be, it'd be cool to see Utah or Baylor, you know, kind of crash the show, even though they're major conference teams, like they just don't have that same allure. Sure. Um, you know, I'd be all for it. It's just of all the years for kind of a tier two type of program to make it, it just doesn't feel like this is the year where they could really have a chance, I guess. You know, like I, I'd rather see Ohio State, Georgia or Ohio State, Oklahoma in that first round game. I would too. And and maybe this is just because of we have, you know, five years of sample now where right. it, you do kind of need to be a blue blood to compete once you get into the playoff. And we've seen some mm-hmm. of those more fringy teams, the second echelon teams get pushed around pretty hard. It just, you know, and this is nostalgia wanking, but like I, I just wish that like Florida State didn't get in that first year and one of the, the Baylor or TCU team from that year yep. uh, was able to get in. Then we, we could have gotten a, maybe a, a better taste of what these second tier teams right. could do was that a trevon boykin yeah, team? oh yeah that, those the, tcu teams were so fun insane so i, I would have uh, in that florida state team was uh, the biggest paper tiger like ever so um <laughs> but anyway the amount of times that we've addressed that team and you know the play specifically <laughs> you know exactly <laughs> what i'm talking about Jameis's crumpled body throwing <laughs> throwing a pass like straight up in the air <laughs> um what was i gonna say now i'm sorry completely lost my train of thought because of Jameis. um well i guess it's it's not too early to even start looking at what these first round matchups might be um and i I think there might be kind of a scramble and it's probably going to be between ohio state and lsu to get to that number one spot and there's an argument that lsu i think could jump ohio state because of having the more impressive victory and maybe ohio state stomps wisconsin by more points but i think beating, beating georgia is a better win you know, yeah, on paper, we've already seen Wisconsin falter, you know, once to Ohio State and then once to a bad Illinois team. Um, I, I think we, we could see LSU, you know, not run up the score, but I, I think they want to make this a convincing win and get to that one spot because whether you're playing, you know, assuming that they beat Georgia in that scenario, whether you're playing Oklahoma, Baylor or Utah, I think you'd rather play any of those three teams than have to play Ohio State or Clemson in round one. Yes, definitely. I, I know. I think I saw something circulating today to the to the uh extent of like the number one seed this year actually matters yes for Um, sure and yeah that's absolutely true because uh if you if you've hooked coach o or ryan day up to the lie detector test like they do not want to play clemson in in that semi and i almost feel like clemson i guess barring ohio state and lsu losing i i think clemson's kind of locked into two or three yes probably three um based on what we expect to happen or what vegas expects to happen so you don't want to be at two, I think, because even though we're, we're kind of making fun of Clemson for their their resume and their motivational tactics, like talent wise, they're as talented as any of these teams. And I, I think maybe there's an argument that they're just kind of waiting to prove it. And I don't think you want to be on the receiving end of that. No, God, no. Yeah, that that could get really ugly there. So uh, I don't think it would necessarily get ugly in the sense that uh, they would blow out either Ohio State or LSU. But I mean, they. they you don't want to be the first team that gets the full Clemson this year, you know? Yeah. Like that if you can play Utah, you'll take it. And that's not 100%. a knock on Utah, but I think you'd just rather have that game. Um, all right, let's take a look back at week 14 real quickly before we get into championship weekend DFS. Uh, of course, to get to the ACC title game, Virginia took care of Virginia Tech. Slayed the Dragon, man. They, they did. They hadn't beaten Virginia Tech in forever. 
How long had it been? Do you know? I, I mean, think off the top of my head, like 15 years or something, like, something to that effect. How did Virginia get good all of a sudden, by the way? Like, uh, how Bryce did they emerge Perkins. from the Grayson Lambert era? Um, basically, Bryce Perkins, who got injured at Arizona State, uh, had to go the JUCO route, had, had like a neck injury, and then mm-hmm. he gets to Virginia. And one of my favorite anecdotes is that he, so he gets there for spring semester in 2018. And he wins the starting job within like two weeks of being there, like the new guy on campus. And he immediately just like locks down being a starter on a uh, starting quarterback of yeah. all things. At on, Virginia on too, at yeah. QBU. Right. Of course. I mean, <laughs> yeah, shout out Matt Schaub. But um, yeah, I mean, I think that that just speaks to how impressive of, of a guy Bryce Perkins is. And over these last two years, he's been one of the best quarterbacks for fantasy. So I, I love him for that reason. Yeah. But I, I love the way he plays. He plays with a lot of fire um, and a lot of smarts, too. So um it's been cool to see, and it's cool to see him uh, be the one that helps uh, Virginia over the hump against yep. Virginia Tech. Nothing against Virginia Tech. I think that's a, that's a fun program as well. I have a lot of friends that are alumni from there. But, uh, yeah, that, that was a wild one to watch. And you started to see it go like the same way that it's gone in recent years where Virginia has either gotten up or gotten very close. But mm-hmm. Virginia Tech you know, ends up give, giving them the, the full Nelson at the end. Uh, I think last year was the prime example of that. But Virginia... Even when uh, Virginia Tech started to make that punch back in the second half, Virginia was able to respond in a way that it hadn't before and ended mm-hmm. up winning that game. So that was that was a huge win for that program, I think. And that'll be five different division championships for that side of the ACC in five years, right? Correct. So yeah, <clears throat> Clemson's been there the last five years, and they will have five different opponents, which is actually pretty incredible. And maybe the ACC is deeper than we're giving it credit for. it's one way to look at it yeah um wisconsin took care of minnesota uh in a game that looked like it might be going the other way early you know minnesota had a long touchdown early on in that game and then after that really not an impressive showing for minnesota that they didn't put another touchdown on the board until late in the fourth when it was basically over wisconsin outscored minnesota 38 to 10 over the final three quarters of that game so what was the key to that i I didn't see i only caught more like the like the red zone version of that game like i would mm-hmm. just flip over dur- during like uh, auburn alabama breaks so like yep. i only caught snippets here and there so I, d- I couldn't get a sense of like the flow i would just see that wisconsin scored more points yeah there wasn't a lot of flow i mean minnesota did a great job of of kind of containing jonathan taylor 18 carries 76 yards had really no long runs at all you know a, a couple 10 to, i think as long was 16 but didn't break anything off i, I think if anything they maybe keyed too hard on Jonathan Taylor. Um, they, they got beat on a few fakes. Um, the the kind of wide receiver jet sweeps that Wisconsin, I think that's like their version of an updated offense. Like, I think they think that's like really cutting edge as stuff. the razzle and the dazzle. Yeah, right. Which I think they, they never, I think they never ran one in program history until like 2013 and that, that Big Ten title game against uh, Nebraska where they just, Nebraska yeah. acted like they'd never seen anything like it. Um, <laughs> but they... They, they did a great job of, of kind of using Jonathan Taylor as a decoy, I think, as the game went on. Um, and, you know, certainly you don't want to be using arguably the best running back in the league in, in that regard. But uh, I thought he was great. It, it was a game, too, that I mean, if you saw any of it, it was like hard snowing the entire time. Um, and I, I think that affected Minnesota more than it did Wisconsin. Um, I mean, Sad. Tanner Morgan had 37 attempts. A lot of them were, were high. A lot of them were just off target. Um, there were a few times I thought Wisconsin could have been flagged for some questionable pass interferences that they let that they let go. I think that was huge. Okay. Um, but my big takeaway, even though Wisconsin won, I, every time I've watched Minnesota this year, and I've said this to you, like I am so impressed by Bateman and Johnson. Like it is, it really is like watching NFL receivers, and you don't often see that in a Wisconsin Minnesota game by any means. Like both of those guys, especially Bateman, just 
they look like you took a second year NFL player and just put him on the Minnesota roster. Yeah, Tyler Johnson, I was honestly pretty surprised that he even came back for for his senior season. I felt like he could have been like a third, fourth round type of guy. Uh, this past year I don't know how much he improved his stock this year maybe he's more like a late second uh, now I imagine in him being a year older doesn't Mm -hmm. always help uh, the receivers in terms of their stock because they have less projectable upside but um, I I think he's still definitely like a top 100 Mm -hmm. uh, type of pick there and then Bateman I think will be in the conversation for a first rounder when he's eligible Mm -hmm. next year that yeah so the fact that Minnesota has both those guys and and you know Morgan developing to the point where he can actually you know support both of them from a fantasy perspective and then also just like in the context of minnesota's offense really impressive stuff there Mm -hmm. so um yeah bateman and and morgan will be one of the better quarterback uh receiver pairings in the big 10 next year yeah, the Badger defense deserves a shout-out as well. Five sacks, eight tackles for loss, a lot of timely third-down stops. Um, I think Minnesota's one of three on fourth down as well. I mean, Minnesota won the time of possession battle in this game, but it, it for some reason just didn't feel like it. I mean, they, they had that quick touchdown on the second play of the game, 51 yards to Bateman, and then after that, their drives went punt, interception, punt, 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 field goal, turnover on downs, fumble, uh, that late kind of garbage time touchdown and then turnover on downs again so it, after that that kind of long play where this Wisconsin secondary has been pretty shaky at times this season and they've had trouble against kind of faster more athletic receivers um, but I, I think they actually kind of ended up benefiting from the weather you know as the game went on yeah yeah I, I did feel like in it I guess coming into this one I felt like if if there was going to be weather like they like they uh like they forecasted it would it, it would benefit Wisconsin because then there wouldn't be or you'd take some of the air out of this Minnesota uh, passing game pass it on to the run game a little bit which isn't as effective mm-hmm. as, a, as a unit and you're running into the strength of wisconsin's defense as well and, and taking away your own mm-hmm. uh, you know advantage in terms of uh, what those receivers can do so that that definitely played into wisconsin's favor and i mean credit to wisconsin for you know taking advantage of it too and it's not like that wasn't a cheap win by any means i don't no. i don't mean to spin it like that and then uh, for you personally how does it feel to have the axe back feels great it was what 15 straight years i think prior to this past weekend embarrassing to lose it like they did last year against maybe a team that in hindsight was probably a little bit better than than we gave them credit for um but like i said to you i think early last week like i'm almost in hindsight especially almost glad that they lost it when they did i mean they weren't going to keep the axe for 40 straight years um and i think without losing it last year maybe they have that letdown game this time around um you know especially given what's at stake you know i I think they're probably realistic about knowing that they're it's like a one percent chance that they get into the playoff it's kind of easy to see them rolling over on the road snow game um but you know i mean this is one of the things that makes college football so great is like these 20 year old kids like really really genuinely want this wooden axe that they can fake chop down the goalpost with like (laughs) i mean they were out there for like 20 minutes like i mean every single person on the roster basically gets a chance to do a couple fake chops um so i mean it was great I, i think the whatever small motivation you know a rivalry trophy presents um i think kind of played in wisconsin's favor this year having lost it a year ago that's got to be one of the best if not the best college football rivalry trophies yes calling it the axe and it's just paul bunyan's axe and it's massive it's just sitting on the sidelines they you you start getting under five minutes and they, they show those shots of it just sitting there waiting and like i'm always waiting for somebody to like be a little too aggressive and like actually hit the goalpost because that thing got, i mean it's made of wood it's not it would definitely just like shatter if you hit something hard <laughs> enough especially when it was that cold um it's kind of amazing that it's never been damaged or at least not that i know of yeah so yeah that, that is kind of and especially with the with the emotion of you know winning that trophy you know 
you could see someone, you know, fullback for Wisconsin getting overzealous with it or something like that. I always wanted uh, Maryland Rutgers to have a uh, a rivalry trophy. Uh, but they don't always play on rivalry weekend, but it would be nice to see. I proposed uh, the the bronze urinal cake. Um, I thought that that would be a, a fitting uh, trophy sure. for uh, the Maryland Terrapin football and Rutgers uh, football. Shout out to Greg Shiano. Um, but yeah, uh, I think overall main point here being uh, the the axe is just tremendous. I think just like a case of Natty Light, maybe with like a few gone, it's like already open and like you're afraid to <laughs> pick it go, up because it might start tearing. Yeah, <laughs> you gotta like hold it from the bottom. Whatever's left, yeah. Um, <laughs> elsewhere in the Big Ten, Michigan uh, put up a good fight, I thought, for about 20 minutes of this game. It was 14 13 after the first quarter. Michigan, you know, drew first blood with a touchdown on its first drive and kind of started thinking, you know, maybe, maybe this is the year. Um, and that was just not the case. It was Ohio State had exactly two touchdowns in every quarter of this game, never really let up. And by the end of it, you know, it just felt like whatever small momentum that Michigan had generated early on was just completely gone by halftime. Yeah, exactly. So, so that there are a couple sequences there in the, late in the second quarter that um, st- started to push uh, things well into the favor of Ohio State, the kind of stuff that like couldn't happen if Michigan was going to pull this off. So, yeah, it did start to feel like things were really slipping away by that point. Michigan, you know, had had its chances to you know make things semi interesting a little bit late. But every for every like small answer that Michigan had, Ohio State would just come back and dunk on them. I mean, like just the the visceral visuals of seeing fields go down then come back in the game with the with a bigger brace on and then throw a dime touchdown pass on his first attempt it's just like there you go michigan like that's what you're gonna eat today sorry yeah justin fields 14 completions for 302 yards (laughs) i mean uh, stuff that really only happens at ohio state at this point um outplayed shea patterson who was 18 of 43 for 305 had a pick uh, but J.K. Dobbins, four rushing touchdowns, 211 yards on 31 carries. Um, I mean, he's kind of really turned into a workhorse for this yes. team. I think probably more so than they had maybe initially designed. Yeah, it's been wild to watch him. You know, two years ago when he was a freshman, he he kind of came out of not necessarily out of nowhere, but you know, he did go ahead and seize the starting role for the Buckeyes in a way that maybe not everyone was expecting. Maybe they mm-hmm. thought that Mike Weber was going to be the guy more so. And then last year is a little bit more of an even uh, divide of the workload. But this year, Ohio State has really leaned on Dobbins, especially late, like you said, and he's really answered the bell. It doesn't feel like he there's a single like if he can run on Michigan like that, I don't really feel like there's any defense that can give him that much trouble over the course of 25 to 28 right. carries. And this is a Michigan team that we've started to feel a little bit better about, Definitely. at least. And, you know, I mean, a, they, a couple of nice wins, I guess, this year, Notre Dame, especially to build on. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's this. I think if you're a Michigan fan, this probably stings pretty similarly to the Wisconsin loss. You're I just mean, stuck on this floor now. Like right. you, you keep pressing the elevator not button to close. go up, and, and it's not, it's yeah. not going up. Yeah, it, it it just feels like Ohio State, you know, kind of continues to ascend, and, and like you said, Michigan remaining stagnant. LSU rolled over Texas A and M. Not a lot to say there, or a little bit of revenge to to yeah. carry them through on that one. And uh, very different than the uh, Georgia Texas A and M game that I, that I witnessed in person. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, LSU can hang fifty on them, and Georgia can hang yeah. I don't know something in the twenties on them. They can, so. Yeah, they can hang twenty. Um, <laughs> My only note from that game was, I don't, I don't care if some people I know thought it was corny, but the Joe Burrow spelling of the jersey was one of the coolest things I've seen. I mean, it, That was such a great idea. So, it makes so much sense. It's, it's perfect. I mean, he, it truly shows. And if you're Joe Burrow, how awesome is that? Like you've, You are now the favorite son of 
LSU. Yeah. Well, and it was, he said it was his idea. He came, he like went to the equipment manager individually and just, he was like, Hey, I have this idea. Like what an awesome thought, I guess. I'm like kind of jealous that I'm not in that position. <laughs> I'm not the starting quarterback at LSU. So I could do that. Um, also my name does not lend well to that. Um, but I, he was not allowed to wear it for the game, which, which kind of sucked. I think I thought it would have been a lot cooler if he would just like, who was going to come pry it off of him? Oh, the NCAA would find yeah. a way. <laughs> LSU loses its spot in the playoff yeah. because he wore that. Yes. Uh, so you could you can uh, take the floor for Georgia. Georgia Tech did not catch any of this game. I just saw I the the negative highlights of uh, DeAndre Swift getting banged up and George Pickens trying to bang someone else up. Yeah. So that that was just you know a costly win for Georgia is kind of how I would, I would sum that up. I mean the the scoreboard looks nice, hanging that many points. Um, on your in-state rival, it, it always feels good uh, to beat Georgia Tech, and I, I don't think that Georgia's lost at Bobby Dodd Stadium in, in quite some time. Um, but when it comes to you know the reality of that game and what it means for this week, it doesn't mean much. That the best way that Georgia could have approached that game is to get in, get out with the win, and no injuries. What happens? Uh, Georgia Pickens suspended for the first half for for some sort of team uh, violation. And then within five minutes of him entering the game, he is fighting a Georgia Tech player at the end of a Georgia touchdown, which is just like, just leave him alone. Like, we already (laughs) scored, man. And he just, I mean, the the Tech guy baited him, of course, but, I mean, you can't respond like that. So um, it's going to end up costing Georgia having Pickens for the first half of this game or for the LSU game. And that compounds the absence of Lawrence Cager, who suffered a, a, a lower leg injury that's going to keep him out probably th- for the rest of the season. Um, so he, when I saw an incredible stat recently, like Fromm's completion percentage when it's to Pickens or um, to Cager is like over 70% and to every other pass catcher in the offense is under 55%. So that's what Fromm's going right. to be working with a very ragtag, unproven green, however you want to spin it in a, in a underhanded way um, about the pass catchers that George is going to be trotting out there on Saturday. I just don't think that from the way that he's played this year, um, having him be a little bit shorthanded with what he has around him is going to be, is going to, bode extremely poorly for this georgia team and i I know that people like like to rip on the lsu defense it's like within the greater context of like oh they could they got shredded by tua type of thing like that they they let in some points there but this is still or they they let in some garbage time points to vanderbilt but i don't i don't think that that's a bad defense by any means i I think that if if there's one flaw on that team it's more on the defensive side than the offensive side but Mm -hmm. good lord that's still a competent defense going up against an incompetent offense especially now one that is probably not is going to be at the very least without a hundred percent deandre swift so auburn won the football game over alabama in the the iron bowl 48 45 uh missed field goal down the stretch by alabama i they, they set a stat on the broadcast that alabama has missed like 30 more field goals i want to say than like any other team uh in the last decade mm-hmm. you know they've just missed field goals at an alarming rate and continue to kick them despite not having a reliable kicker really at any point over the last few years. Um, and then, of course, I think the call that probably ended up being kind of the defining moment from this game, if you heard one thing, it was that you know Alabama is, is about to get the ball back on a punt with, I think, just a little over a minute left. Mm-hmm. And the way they were moving the ball, you know, you felt like maybe there was a chance. And I, I think Alabama certainly felt like there was a chance they could at least get into field goal range and, and try another one. Too many men on the field. They get flagged for it. Saban goes insane, and then Auburn can just take a couple knees, and then that's it. And I believe Auburn split their punter out on that play, which I think caused kind of threw him off. Giant cascade of confusion there, yep. and, and like the sort of 
Shakespearean tragedy of this where like Alabama usually way more prepared than everyone else as far as like yep. special teams go especially you always feel like it one of the overarching themes of the Saban era has been like yeah they'll, they're gonna like beat the hell out of you on both sides of the ball yep. and they're probably gonna block one of your punts or something right. like that and and for a mental miscue to end up costing them in yes. that spot especially like you said where they had been moving the ball actually on this Auburn defense that had been yep. previously not even you know messed up like that i mean lsu at home couldn't do what Mm -hmm. what alabama with mac jones was doing to this auburn defense so that i mean it stood to reason that they would at least get another shot at at a field goal there um but then a mental miscue and uh back to the harris thing uh waddle more impressive i i I misspoke there uh jalen waddle holy smokes friends yeah he had uh, a touchdown um one of their many touchdowns i mean mac jones did have two picks they were both pick sixes super damaging obviously um but waddle in this game had a a 58 yard touchdown where he just caught the ball over the middle and it looked like he was going to get tackled by like four different players and none of them even touched him like he was untouched the rest of the way i was watching that with my extended family you know and very old grandparents and they were like my grandpa just like like lost it he like could not believe what he was seeing and <laughs> oh i'm just, I was like yeah this this is what this guy does grandpa um <laughs> he's crazy and he's one of those guys too that doesn't really look like he's going all that fast you know i mean he's it's not randy moss like randy moss is kind of the quintessential guy that you think of where he's just jogging and like people are just falling way back as as, as he goes down the field but i mean he's going up against guys who are four four d-backs you know this is not baloney state you know these are auburn defensive backs that he's just running right by and then he i mean he basically crossed it was like a, a slant route caught it around midfield, ran kind of directly to the sideline, and then turned down the sideline. I mean, there were multiple angles to get him, and it just it was comical to watch. I mean, he is unbelievably fast. But um, my final point on, on Alabama, this game re- reminded me a lot of the LSU game yes. with the miscues. Like you said, it's, usually it's, it's Alabama that has these kind of, I wouldn't say a trick play, but little wrinkles like that that kind of make you think and throw guys off. And in the LSU game that happened, some of the penalties they had, um, the punter dropping a snap, you know, and then basically having that punt end up being nothing, you know, that turned into an LSU touchdown. Yep. Um, it, it just seems like all the ways that they've been able to pull out, you know, big drives or get big stops when they need to, it, it's just kind of like been turned around on them this year for for unknown reasons. I mean, the personnel, especially on the offensive end, is as good as it's ever been. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that this is an undisciplined Alabama team in a way yes. that we haven't really seen. I think that they, this is far and away their their most like penalized team. I think they yep. they are like one of the most penalized teams uh, in the country. So just a lot of stuff that you know they've been able to to ex- make larger margins for error for themselves by not yes. screwing up over the course of the years, and they've completely thinned those out this year's this year by be by playing that undisciplined brand of football that's got that mm-hmm. effectively cost them both of their losses there right last point for week 14 i was subjected to the entire iowa state kansas state game what because was that even on i don't think i caught i don't even know i think it was on like fs1 okay maybe Sounds about right. I, we had to do some hunting for it my my extended family's from iowa and a couple of them are, are isu grads so they, they actually went down to I don't even know what bowl it was. Like, was that the Emerald Bowl in Memphis a couple a couple years ago when Iowa State made a bowl for the first time in a while? Uh, Memphis would be the Liberty Bowl. Liberty Bowl. That's right. Yeah. So they made the trek down there. Got to hear those tales. Sound like it was a good time. Um, but yeah, watched the entire game. Uh, I was very impressed by Brees Hall. I know the numbers weren't all that good, but he had a couple runs where 
you know, you talk about turning two yards into six yards or just battling. And, and he's a true freshman, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah so he's he, going to be a monster. He was, you know, someone that, that came in uh, over the course of this past or in this past recruiting class. And uh, you weren't sure when exactly he was going to be able to seize the role of, of the starter for them, especially because they had so many uh, older, more experienced players. And it was like, you know, they're, they're probably going to go a mishmash to kind of replace David Montgomery. But then, you know, that, that one breakout game comes against West Virginia where he takes 26 carries for 132 and three scores. And you're like, okay, no, no longer is this in, in question here. Mm-hmm. And, and the rest of the way that they did ride him. So like you said, the numbers, it, it doesn't show up necessarily, but I mean, David Montgomery was only like a 4.6 yards per carry guy um, for this Iowa state team in his last year there. Brees Hall, five yards a carry, again, you know, with like a, an offensive line that's not mm-hmm. like demonstrably better. And this is just the beginning for him. Yep. So next year, he'll, I mean, I don't know. I haven't done the projections for next year yet, but I imagine that he'll be, um, you know, a top 20, top top 15 at the very least, maybe mm-hmm. even top 10 running back by the time that things are, are settled out in August. He's, he's really effing good. All right, let's take a look at the DFS slate. We will go to DraftKings.com as always. Uh, kind of a fun, fun slate this weekend because we have the top eight teams in action plus Oregon and plus Virginia so a ton of big names um, you know oftentimes this season there's the way that the slates work out or the schedules work out you have teams off or you have you know FCS opponents where, where guys aren't included I mean for I, I would assume for the first time this year you can choose between Jalen Hurts Joe Burrow Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, you know Jack Cohn. If you really want to go that way, like <laughs> all the heavy hitters are are basically available um, on this slate. So I'll, I'll kick it over to you, and you can you can start with the quarterback position. Yeah, this is a really really fun slate, and I I love that it's eight games as opposed to eleven. Uh, as for as for uh, the main slate is concerned, uh, obviously we don't get the Pac-12 game because they play that on Friday nights, but. I mean, there's just a lot of fun matchups here, and we, we do have those stars, and they're all going up against really, really good opponents there. So, I mean, when it comes to Joe Burrow, 8,300 going up against the, the defense is number one in S&P Plus uh, in Georgia. So his price tag is 8,300 as opposed to Jalen Hurts, who's uh, 9,000, um, so only or a full $700 uh, more. Uh, Hurts averages like 10 more points per game than any other quarterback this season he threw four touchdowns against Baylor last time out and that was without CD Lamb if you remember so uh, Lamb being back only you know helps his cause I think Hertz is going to go nuts in this game so I I think that there's a, a very good reason why he's the highest priced uh, quarterback on the board even even with a relatively tough matchup um, I'll probably have a fair bit of exposure to him probably more than than I will for Joe Burrow but Joe Burrow I think this LSU uh, offense is going to be able to put up points on Georgia in a way that no other offense really has to this point this year. Georgia just, they, they have those quality wins, but they haven't played an explosive, a truly explosive or great offense necessarily. Certainly nothing uh, like we see from LSU. Um, and I don't think that Georgia's offense is going to be able to sustain drives the way that, um, you know, they would hope to, you know, quote unquote, like keep the LSU offense off the field. So we're going to see the normal volume for Joe Burrow. I'm not worried about the pace getting dragged down and things not working out for him that way so i think even if georgia hangs with lsu in the first half i think it, it'll look a little bit like the 2011 sec title game where where in the end lsu pulls away comfortably but they will do it with their offense um mm-hmm. trevor lawrence 7700 i like him going up against virginia trevor i mean if Dabo has one valid point 
recently is that Trevor Lawrence probably isn't getting enough credit because he's been absolutely insane lately, throwing at least three touchdowns in seven straight games, uh, 25 total touchdowns in that span because he can he can actually run a fair bit too. I think he has over mm-hmm. 250 uh, rushing yards in that span as well. So sneakily uh, helping you out as far as the, the mobility numbers are concerned. So I like him going up against Virginia at 7,700. Uh, that's a pretty nice price tag, honestly. Moving down the board a little bit to the cheaper guys, the guys that you want to use in, in your, as your super flex, uh, Jalen Henderson um, of Boise State looks like he's going to be starting against what is far and away the worst defense as far as S&P Plus is concerned uh, on this slate uh, going up against Hawaii. Wait, you mean to tell me the Hawaii defense is not having a great year? No, and the, you know what? The computers don't like them either. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the computers have them at, at 115th in, yeah. in that uh, overall statistic there. Yeah, I have them out of my playoff field bold bold move but um yeah when it comes to anderson uh over 21 DraftKings points in each of his last three games uh and boise state also has the second highest implied total on the board the only uh really knock against him i think is similar to to lawrence where it's like they're going to get a lot of off of their offense through the ground. You know, Clemson with, with Travis Etienne, can you use Etienne and Lawrence in the same lineup? Can you use George Halani, who's been amazing for Boise State as as the running back? Can you feel comfortable using both Henderson and Halani in the same lineup? Because you, those are both teams that have, I believe, the highest implied totals on the board. Mm-hmm. So maybe you do want to play around with the stack that way, but maybe uh, the quarterback and the receivers in one of those games and then maybe or for one of your lineups and then just do the running backs only um, in a different lineup but either way I I think that Henderson's going to have some success and then Bryce Perkins I hate this matchup for him obviously Clemson is is so ridiculously good and solid across the board I mean they're number three in defensive S&P plus Uh, Virginia has the lowest implied total of any team lower than Wisconsin even Wisconsin checking in with a 20 implied total here Uh, Virginia 13 that's that's way too high it it does Um, 20 yards (laughs) maybe um so yeah, when it, when it comes to Virginia, there are those factors working against you. But Perkins at sixty two hundred for a quarterback that usually uh, goes in the seven thousands that that's a pretty nice discount potentially, and you know that you're going to separate yourself from the field uh, pretty well if you use him. And then uh, speaking of field, Justin Fields uh, a fine enough play, but uh, um, you know there, there's really nothing you can say against him necessarily. It's just like my lineup builds won't be featuring him heavily I, I think it'll be a fine play and you can you can find good builds with him but that's not specifically how I'm going to be attacking this slate necessarily I guess all right looking at the running back position uh, I think we can assume J.K. Dobbins will probably just be a non-factor this week I, I oh, think yeah. Wisconsin will shut him down no problem so you can just kind of breeze past him uh, he's at 8,000 the most expensive player on the slate you have Jonathan Taylor just below him at 7,900. Um, Edwards Hilaire, ETN, DeAndre Swift, who we mentioned is a little banged up. Uh, I mean, much like the quarterback position, you have a ton of elite options here. Yeah, you, the elite options are, are all great here. I think I like Dobbins the best, and I think by virtue of him being the most expensive, it might keep the ownership level in check. And by that, I mean maybe under 30%. But mm-hmm. with the way he's been playing of late, he's definitely going to have um, a higher higher ownership rate than he has in recent weeks when he's had similarly uh, tough matchups. Dobbins, the way that he's running right now, I think everyone is hip to to what he's doing. Uh, I'm not touching Jonathan Taylor. No offense. Um, 
Kenny Gainwell. Um, ever since uh, Patrick Taylor got back in the fold, um, he's been held out of the end zone each of these last two games uh, for Memphis. So 7500 it's not an outrageous price tag for him going up against Cincy. That's just kind of a weird game to approach from a DFS perspective because they just played each other. Uh, by the time they kick off, it'll have just been eight days since since they squared off against each other. So um, that that's just I don't really know what to make of that just yet with, with them mm-hmm. having seen each other so recently. When it comes to Edwards Hilaire, um, he easily has the most uh, catches over the last or like since week 10. I think he has over 20 catches. Um, so among running backs, uh, th- that is really, really valuable. That That's what kind of separates him. I don't think that he's going to run in, in the traditional sense over this uh, Georgia defense. I think that they, they'll they're pretty adept to, to take him away as far as the ground game is concerned. But if he can pick up some cheap catches and, and turn that into yards after the catch, then I think Edwards Hilaire will be a fine enough play. But at that same price, Travis Etienne at 7,300 going up against Virginia. That's just such an easier call to me. So mm-hmm. um, I know it'll be chalkier. I know Etienne will have the higher um, ownership percentage, but I, I do feel like Edwards Hilaire, uh, a fine play in his own right. Uh, Darrington Evans at 7K uh, for App State going up against uh uh, Louisiana. I always forget how to exactly address Louisiana now. It's like, can you say Louisiana Lafayette? You- oh yeah, I still. They. That's never going to change. Yeah. So you I don't th- just become Louisiana. Yeah. They, they, that was a that was an interesting brand shift <clears throat> for them. But um, you know, I respect it. That they, they can do as they please. I'm just not going to acknowledge it. But um, mm-hmm. they, they've been okay against the run uh, for the most part. But or actually, they've actually been kind of susceptible on the ground. So Evans might be someone that you want to turn to because on this slate. Um, only Miami of Ohio and Hawaii give up more rushing yards per game uh, than Louisiana Lafayette. So that might be something you want to consider at at 7K. Um, Jonathan Ward is really interesting for Central Michigan because he's going up against that aforementioned Miami of Ohio defense that is really, really bad against the run, um, giving up 180 rushing yards per game. Uh, you do have the, the issue where he splits carries um, a decent bit with Kobe Lewis, who is 5,700. But both of those guys being under 7K, something that you're going to want to try to get a share of um we've seen when both of them are healthy we've seen times where lewis gets more carries that, than uh, ward and we've seen other times where ward uh, gets more carries I, th- I think ward is the more effective overall player but mm-hmm. um we're, we're probably not going to see him hit his production ceiling just because central michigan can can afford to mix and match in that backfield but lewis 11 touchdowns for a backup running back is pretty sweet for, so 5700 also pretty good as a pass catcher um 5600 for george halani i think that he might be the chalkiest play on the board this week um again Hawaii's run defense is atrocious um, and he pretty much seems to have taken over the the full number one role um, for the Broncos um, so I really like him a lot this week I, I will probably have 100 percent exposure uh, to him maybe maybe make one variance lineup just in case he gets injured or something like that um, on the other side of that app state game uh, the UL running backs are both really really strong oh, they actually have three running backs that are really good but uh, 5900 for Trey Regis and 5800 for Elijah Mitchell both of those guys are absolute stud running backs um, so that they are definitely worth at least a look in that uh, sub 6k uh, price range and then rounding things out uh, Michael Warren of Cincinnati <coughs> ran really well last week against Memphis uh, Memphis a little bit shakier against the run than they are against the pass uh, he's got touchdowns in five straight he's got a hundred or more yards in three of his last four as well so Michael Warren uh, one last guy to consider at running back running back really deep you got a lot of ways <coughs> to attack it there same call at the receiver position not quite as deep I would say as as quarterback and running back you have a little bit more separation at least at the top with Jamar Chase being one thousand dollars more expensive 
Then Mr. C.D. Lamb, who's at 6,800. Chase at 7,800. Um, you know, you have Jefferson from LSU at 6,500. Um, really struggling to to find the highest price Wisconsin receiver here. You can get Quintez Cephas at, at 5,000. <laughs> going against that terrible Ohio State secondary. Um, no great cornerbacks whatsoever no, to speak not. of. Um, how do you how do you like Jamar Chase? Is he worth paying up for? It's like it's one of those things where it's it's such a crazy visual to see a guy that's a thousand dollars more than anyone else at, at his position. But when it comes to Jamar Chase, it's you know completely reasonable. Um, over the last f- uh, four or five weeks, he's just been. I mean, over the whole course of the entire season, he's been ridiculous. But um, you know, four games, last four games, he has twenty-seven catches for seven hundred eight yards. That's twenty-seven catches for seven hundred eight yards and eight touchdowns, and that's just on thirty-eight targets. So I don't even know what to do with that. that yeah. That's just he's making you sound like an infomercial. Honestly, yes. So he's broken my brain with, with those type <laughs> of uh, numbers. So uh, really like him a lot. I think that he will be uh, worth paying up for when it's all said and done. I think, again, that uh, LSU, maybe even if they struggle a little bit at the beginning um, over the course of this game, that uh, Georgia doesn't have uh, – nobody has the corners that can really check Chase for a full uh, four quarters. 18.6 yards per target is the number there for mm-hmm. um, his last couple of games. And then T. Higgins has been awesome. I think as far as guys that um, maybe aren't getting as much credit as they should, uh, and so maybe I'm talking myself into Dabo being right here, but um, Higgins has been just almost almost equally as insane as Chase recently. Not quite as crazy as far as yards per target goes, but mm-hmm. uh, in his last four games, 22 targets, he's turned that into 16 catches for 312 yards and seven touchdowns so really really crazy numbers from him so i think that he's kind of reestablished himself as the 1a as opposed to the 1b in that clemson receiving course so i like him uh, a lot at 6k i'm looking elsewhere garrett wilson someone that i was you know similar to Brees hall i was touting um during signing day last year as someone that um could be an impact as a freshman he started to really really uh, show that potential last weekend with a breakout game against michigan of all teams so 4100 um you, you don't figure that he's gonna have a ton of volume so maybe that makes him a better play on FanDuel, uh where you know it's not the full point ppr but either way wilson is a talented enough player and at that price point he can just do so much with any given target that he I like mm-hmm. him a lot. Demonte Coxey of Memphis, 5,800, six touchdowns in his last four games, seeing eight and a half targets uh, per game in that stretch. So a nice combination of volume and touchdown upside uh, for him. The Hawaii guys are going to be interesting to figure out. I think that a lot of the public is going to be drawn to them and understandable. I mean, that Hawaii, mm-hmm. the run and shoot, they, they throw it, or they throw it a ton. Um, but a lot of those receivers aren't really great scoring threats and especially going up against a Boise State defense it doesn't give up a ton uh, through the air we might see some kind of empty calories production but sometimes that's that's all you really need on DraftKings if the, if a guy has 10 catches and who cares if it's for you know only 75 yards and, and mm-hmm. maybe a touchdown um, if I were to, to go after one of them I'd probably go Jojo Ward because he has the most touchdown upside uh, at 5800 so I like him a little bit and then uh, some of these App State receivers Thomas Hannigan or Malik Williams, 4,800 and 4,500 respectively. They both see a fair amount of the targets um, in this App State offense. App State a little bit more geared towards the run, I believe, but still um, when they do throw it, and Zach Thomas, a pretty good quarterback, uh, they usually go to, go to one of those two guys. Um, and Williams has the, the more touchdowns over the mm-hmm. last few weeks, so I might lean uh, his way if I'm going bargain shopping at receiver, which I, which I will be doing to round out my roster. So 4,500, uh, there are a lot worse ways to spend uh, that, that kind of money. 
Agreed on all fronts. Um, I was reading T. Higgins' bio on the Clemson website uh, just now. First freshman to start at his high school since 2002. Ridiculous. <sighs> Basically, what I was trying to do is find out is his real name actually T. I've not found any evidence to suggest that it's not. I think it's just T-E-E. I, I figured it was short for something. I love that. And then he plays with T. Martin's son, Amari Rogers. Exactly. Wait, Amari Rogers is T. Martin's son? Yes. Wow. How am I just finding that out? Why is his, why is his name not Amari uh, uh, Martin? I, I, that I don't know. All right. Well, we'll get to Life's you on the pod. Great mysteries. Okay. Let's get into a few other uh, collegiate news and notes before we head out. Uh, obviously, the big, no, big, nose, big news <laughs> of the week Chris Peterson stepping down at Washington. Um, I mean, it's been a few days since the announcement, but pretty shocking. Uh, although in the kind of current coaching landscape where we've seen other coaches step away for, you know, I think he cited anxiety, exhaustion, family. You know, I mean, I, I think Urban Meyer, I guess, is for better or for worse, kind of the poster boy for this. But, um, you know, I, I think it's met with a little less scrutiny, a little less backlash than maybe it would have been 10, 15 years ago. Um, I, I Those think are people, made up things. Those right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, take force factor. Just you'll be take fine. Take force yeah. factor, you dingus. Yeah. Um, but I think people are definitely a little more understanding of those reasons. Um, so, you know, it hasn't, hasn't really been a ton of criticism. You know, obviously it's been a little bit of a disappointing season for Washington. Uh, but obviously he had that program going in the right direction, you know, compared to where it was um, in the past before he got there. So I, I think the, the biggest thing maybe – looking more long-term with this story is where does he end up? I mean, the way that he phrased everything in his statements, it doesn't sound like he's hanging it up for good. Uh, it, it does seem like that he could kind of follow the Urban Meyer path to kind of waiting this out, you know, take a year or two off and then kind of see where your options are. Um, you know, certainly you can do better than Washington. It's, it's a good power conference job, but probably more on the, you know, four-star, five-star prestige level if we're talking NCAA football uh, 2014 here as opposed to a five- or six-star program. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I think he's kind of maybe going to be one of those names who fades from the public eye over the next year or two. But as more and more of these power five jobs, you know, kind of big time prestige jobs open up over the next few years, I, I think we'll still hear his name kind of being bounced around. Yeah. So, you know, if if we can take what you said for, you know, as fact here where, you know, maybe he takes this next year off and then he'll be ready to, to come yeah. back. That dovetails really nicely with one of the more surprising uh, coaching decisions in college football, which is USC deciding to retain clay helton so i could see peterson being from california i think usc would would be his dream job if he is to come back here so i think that he could be that usc coach in the future um that's that's where i would see him ending up i think that he ends up on the west coast um somewhere and you know if stress and anxiety at washington is really bad i know it's going to be worse at usc but it, i mean like, i don't think it would CBD, man. <laughs> seriously get optimized but um you know I, I don't think that he would venture to to go to the sec or, or take on one of those jobs or take on like mm-hmm. a total reclamation project something like that so um i, I do foresee uh, Peterson being at least a name that's bandied about when it comes to USC in the future. And then when it comes to USC, I had like a, a tweet draft all queued up, you know, f- basically expecting him to get f- Clay Helton to get fired, but to actually kind of reverse my my stance on him a little bit, or at least give him some credit that I hadn't previously. Because over the, if you just like search my my Twitter and, and Clay Helton, I've been pretty uh, critical of him throughout the, this time here and how he got propped up by Sam Darnold and how he you know, picked like... Uh, I forget who exactly the quarterback, Max Brown, uh, as the quarterback. Yeah. Over Turns out he was propping up Sam Darnold. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, that, yeah, Darnold. Woof. Um, 
But I think that Helton, all things considered, did an excellent job this year. I think when you have a guy uh, like like JT Daniels get injured in, in your first game of the season and you lose, uh, and to be able to kind of get yourself up and, and you know beat a Utah team at home, I think or the, I don't know if they lost that season opener or not, I forget, but they were going up against Fresno State. But um, everything that he did this year was very impressive, and, and USC is not really that bootstraps program, but it, it sort of felt like that this year, and he did well within that context. So I think he can coach. I just don't think that mm-hmm. he's the right guy for USC long-term. I think he'd be maybe a, a more of like a tier two, like lo- lower yeah. tier uh, Pac-12 <clears throat> school type of deal. I love the Peterson conspiracy. You think, so they, they already have an agreement, a contract is signed. They're just like, he's like, I just need a year, keep Clay. You know, you can't bring in someone new and then fire him after a year um, and then just kind of wait it out. See, I'm exactly. all for it. See? All for it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I'm you know, mm-hmm. playing 3D chess on this one. Yep. Uh, LaVisca Chenault, gone from Colorado. Not surprising. Disappointing year for him. Was banged up early on. You know, Colorado never really got it going, uh, but he's gone to the NFL. Tua still deciding. Apparently he's consulting with his family. I'm assuming he's consulting with God as well on this one. Um, We'll see where God steers him as far as the NFL. Um, Do you have any read on this whatsoever? You know, not, not any insider information from Tua, but just kind of where you see this, you know, kind of playing out. Um, you know, he, he has until January 20th to decide. So, I mean, he's got all the time in the world to, to get this figured out. I still am on the side where I'll, I'll be pretty shocked if he comes back to Alabama. Um, I mean, the, the nature of that injury, why would you risk getting injured again without, you know, some payment involved too? So, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that he will end up turning pro and, and entering the 2020 draft, but, um, and I see him being like a mid first rounder now, uh, I will still be surprised, even though he's dragging this decision out or, or you know, make taking his time to, to yep. make it, which understandably so. Um, I still think that he's gone from Alabama, so they, they need to figure out what they're doing next there. And then uh, when it comes to Chenault, yeah, if, there, if you have any like quibbles with how this year went for him, just pop in the 2018 tape and see what he's able to do at full strength. And there were, there was some gimmickiness to some of his production last year, but he was still doing almost 10 yards of target as a true sophomore, six touchdowns on 110 targets, not the craziest touchdown production, but you know, he, Steven Montez, not the best quarterback. So um, I think that he was able to do a lot with a little, and then he was dinged up this year, but was still pretty impressive overall. Mm-hmm. And he was almost 10 yards a target again this year um, with, with some really good games interspersed, 9.3 uh, yards per target. So Chenault, I mean, we're talking about a guy who's 6'2", 220. Um, so kind of like a taller A.J. Brown as far as the build is concerned. I don't know if the game is necessarily similar, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, he really blows it up at the combine yeah. um, and, and kind of re-emerges as one of those, like, top five, top six types of yeah. receivers in this class. Yeah, he's one of those catch the ball and he turns into a running back type of receivers. You know, he's just wide-bodied and, like, just doesn't doesn't look like a receiver when he has the ball, and I, I think that's becoming a, a pretty appealing kind of archetype in the NFL. Um, quick check-in on Heisman odds, which are virtually the same as they were a couple weeks ago. At, at this point, it's Burrow. I mean, I, I don't think there's anything he could do at this point short of like committing a mass murder <laughs> at the SEC title game, which we've well, never seen do before. It to Georgia, bro. Right, yeah. Then they would have a tough time giving it to him. But he is at minus 1,400. The next highest odds, Justin Fields at plus 1,400. I mean, again, it's crazy that there's this much of a gap uh chase young at plus 3000 jalen hurts at plus 3000 the dk sportsbook doesn't even list any other options so my guess is that burrow fields young and hurts are the four guys we see in new york as the finalists with burrow 
uh, becoming a runaway winner. My question for you, can you name the biggest landslide Heisman winners ever? The top three uh, have all been from 2006 to present. Okay, so here are my guesses, and I promise you I did not look this up yep. at all. I, just, we, I should clarify, sorry, we're going in terms of the percentage of votes collected. Okay, all right, I'm going to lead things off with Cam Newton. Scam Newton is sixth all-time. He received just under 82% of the vote. How about Troy Smith? Number one. There we go. I the biggest, no-question Heisman Trophy winner of all time, Troy Smith, 91.6% of the vote for 2,540 voting points. Okay, yeah. So that, that was a heck of a year that he had, only yep. to fall short to Chris Leak and Tim Tebow. Um, yep, and yep. then I think my... My third guess, and th- this could be horribly wrong now, now that I think of it, but I don't remember any of the other candidates really being that strong that year. Jameis? Jameis in 2013 took home 79% of the vote, so that would be eighth all time. Okay, so not not completely embarrassing myself there, no, no. but, but um, who, uh, who rounds out the top three then? So number one, Troy Smith. Number two, Marcus Mariota. Oh, I remembered one. this in my mind being like 50-50 between him and Melvin I, Gordon. I, Turns I out so that too. was not the case at all. <laughs> 90.9% of the vote went to Marcus Mariota. And then in 2017, Baker Mayfield, 86% of yeah, the vote. Yeah, he crushed it that year. Yeah, yeah. There, there was no one really that, that close to him. Yeah, he was incredible. Yeah, so uh, I, it does feel like we're kind of heading that way, I think. Um, it, you know, Right now, I mean, would you be surprised if Burrow's you know, closer to like 95%? No, I, I mean, I think be, Fields will get a few strays. Sure, sure. I'd be more surprised if Burrow was like closer to 85% than 95, put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I guess I don't remember the 06 Heisman race all that, you know, saliently right now, but I don't remember it being this much of a no brainer. I mean, like in terms of numbers, Troy Smith, obviously, he, he was a little more mobile than Joe Burrow, but I think. It, it didn't really feel like he was far and away the best player in college football it, that year, did it? It's not necessarily that I remember him being that much more dominant than the rest of the field. It's just more so that I remember being home on a Saturday night on in 2006 and like absorbing the entire yeah. Heisman broadcast and them saying like this is the this is the highest percentage of votes anyone's yep. ever gotten. So like I I like had that in the back of my brain yep. uh, just for today. Um, so shout out to 2006 me for remembering that. This is a fantastic list of people who received votes in 2006. So Troy Smith obviously um, almost swept it. Uh, Darren McFadden was second. Brady Quinn third. Steve Slayton fourth. Mike Hart. Colt Brennan. Ray Rice. Ian Johnson, Dwayne Jarrett at nine. He had a first place vote and Calvin Johnson was 10th. <laughs> I love that list. That's a fun list. That's just like a who's who of guys that everybody remembers from that year, more mm-hmm. or less, which I think is what the Heisman voting probably should be when we look back. Um, but no, good guesses by you on that trivia question. Those, those are tough. Um, I also looked into this. Joe Burrow will be the first Heisman winner ever to wear number nine. How about Never that? had a number nine take it home. The most common Heisman numbers have been 14 and 20. Both have had five winners. Can you name one of either? Without looking, Sam Bradford was 14, right? I'm not That sounds right. I think right. it was. I have the list here. So I, don't, I can't name any of the 20s off the top of my head. Uh, so 14 Barry was, Sanders yes. Barry Sanders be one? Barry Sanders, no. He was 21 in college oh gosh, that's right uh so 20 is billy cannon from lsu who i believe we talked about a couple weeks ago is the only other lsu winner i was chided by a friend of mine for not knowing that. really yes. wow embarrassing I, yeah that's what he said in front of the boys too uh mike garrett from usc in 1965 johnny rogers the running back from nebraska in 72 earl campbell 
wore number 20, and Billy Sims also wore number 20. So 77-78, back-to-back number 20s winning the Heisman. And then 14, Bradford, Ty Detmer, Vinny Testaverde, John Latner, and Clint Frank, who, you're never going to believe this, won it in 1937, a guy named Clint Frank. Oh, Clint Frank. Uh, yeah, yeah, from Yale. Look, look, he can really pig, fling the pigskin there, boys. <laughs> um, okay, I, last thing I want to run through, just some of the other finalists. This kind of went under the radar. I feel like it, these have been out for a little bit of time now. But the Bednarik finalists, Derek Brown from Auburn, Isaiah Simmons from Clemson, Chase Young from OSU. This one seems like it's going to be Young probably in a landslide. The Boletnikoff finalists, Jamar Chase, who we just discussed on the DK slate, C.D. Lamb, and Michael Pittman Jr., uh, pretty interesting field there. Maxwell, Burrow, Hertz, and Chase Young, Davey O'Brien, Burrow, Fields, and Hertz, and the Jim Thorpe Award, Grant Delpit, Jeff Okuda, or J.R. Reed from the University of Georgia. Um, uh, starting off with, with the Thorpe and, and working our way back, I don't think I've seen a better cornerback this year than or defensive back in general, uh, and then specifically corner as well than Jeff Okuda. I mean, that's a guy that from you know playing outside can take mm-hmm. over a game like that. Uh, specifically, the, his, his performance against Nebraska was just preposterous. The way he took that yeah. game over like right away, and and you know Ohio State just quickly stomped out Nebraska and any hopes that they had for this season in one fell swoop. <clears throat> um, so I I'd probably put him. I think Delpit a little bit there based on. Uh, a bit of his reputation yes, more, more than definitely uh, uh, jr reed's had a very strong year too though so i mean i'm glad that he's a finalist i think he's a deserving finalist but i, I would give that to akuda um the davy o'brien that's i mean that's a great list between the three of them i think they all have their own merits but i, I think this it just feels like this is burrow's year mm-hmm. um as far as that goes uh maxwell keep it with burrow Blitnikov is is interesting and michael Pittman shouldn't be written off either because with a ton of other great receivers on this usc team and a backup quarterback or a number two uh quarterback playing for them basically the entire season Pittman was still able to put up uh 1222 yards on 95 catches and 11 touchdowns and did it on almost 10 yards of target as well so he is a stud i think that you know he's a senior so maybe he'll go closer to like the second or third round but he's deserving of, of being of getting this uh, recognition and i think that he'll be a decent pro as well uh and then as far as the bednarik I, I would imagine it, it's chase young as well but i think Derek brown keeps it a little bit closer than you think people yeah. love Derek brown the, the gary danielson loves Derek brown. <laughs> people <laughs> Most, mostly Derry danielson yeah um i wonder what odds you could have gotten on none of justin ross t higgins jerry judy or Devonte smith or any other alabama player not being a bulletnikoff finalist this year oh yeah that's a that's a really good point Crazy. because it was like prohibitively like the conversation starts and ends with those guys yeah like if you want to throw in cd lamb as like a courtesy then you, you can do that right. and not get left out of the room but everyone else yeah like it, it judy especially it felt like had the had it like locked up in week six yeah seriously and i don't remember really anything <clears throat> he did against auburn no unfortunately not um but still, I'm, I'm pretty high on him, I think, going forward, and as are you. Should be. All right, that'll do it for us. We will most certainly be back next week to, to recap what's going to be an awesome Friday, Saturday, especially Saturday. Cannot wait. Um, best of luck to Georgia. I know based on the scenarios that I laid out for Wisconsin to get in, 
pretty much need Georgia to lose. Um, so I'll, I guess I'll technically be rooting against Georgia. Um, but we'll see. I mean, my my entire straw man argument that I laid out for Wisconsin could come crashing down by Friday based on what happens in the Pac-12 game. You know, I think we need Utah to lose. Okay. Um, so we'll see. That that's going to start start the the chain of events that marches the eighth ranked Wisconsin Badgers right into the, the playoff. Craziest parlay of all time, <laughs> cashing essentially. Uh, yeah, that's what I should. If I really believe this, I should put my money where my mouth is. And I can can you even imagine what that would pay out? I mean, that includes having to bet on Wisconsin, which is currently. 16 and a half point dogs in a neutral site game. Let's go. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.